Good morning. Can we say thanks to the worship team just for... Uh, Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And um, I love that our team is more concerned about the presence of God than performing for you. Amen. And, and I think that's what it's about in the church. Do you know what worship tends to be for us? And, and it's why I don't understand why we don't gather more. But it tends to be a reminder of the promises of God, doesn't it? And so sometimes we need those reminders of God's promises. I tell you what, do you know it's true? It's true that Jesus is alive. After like a really high quality golf clap, let's try something different. <laughs> Do you know it's true that Jesus is alive? I'm going to give you a little bit more prep for that. <laughs> um, that is not manipulating a moment. That's just giving you opportunity. <laughs> because here's the deal. If that's true, it changes everything. We can't, we can't just live life the way we want. Whew. How many like to live life the way you want? No, come on, seriously. Come on. I mean, we do that every day. Um, I want to make a statement. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, and, and, I, and I use that term very specifically uh, because I think it can get muddied in the culture we live in. But if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I want you to, to, to take a minute to really process this, it, it's truth, if it's true or not, and then I want you to participate. Sometimes, you know, there's rhetorical questions that go out, and you just kind of get to be this, you know, anonymous, anonymity, just kind of, can you participate in this, If because if I want you to see this, it's important you see it. Um, I think that today, the culture in which we live, the church looks way too much like our culture. Raise your hand if, that's, if you believe that's true. That's a lot. That's a great. I don't have to go back and do that again. I feel like that was, I feel like that was, here's, when, when, when God has called us to be different, and, and not, because, not because we point fingers and say the world is bad and we're good. No, no. It, it's to understand that it's not that the world is bad. It's just that God is good. And we want to, the world to know the goodness of God, but we cannot impact a world, influence a world that we reflect we just can't. And so we'll all admit in this moment that we look way too much like the world in a lot of different ways. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said, you know, God's word says be in the world, but not of it. Like we are to be in the world, not to judge it, but to love it. When you lead with judgment, you can't love. Judgment cancels love, even if it's to yourself. Some of you sit wondering why you have a hard time receiving the love of God. It's because you spend too much time judging yourself. And so we want to lead with love, be in the world, but not of it. Why do we need to be in the world? Because God needs us as his representatives in the world to show people what God looks like because we're his image bearers that spend 24-7 of our time pointing to Jesus. Or, or at least we want to. Or we ought to. And he says, don't, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't get caught up in the world's way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because it's better. It's just better, isn't it? And, and so we're, we're sitting here today in a culture, a church culture, that looks a whole lot like the world. And so I want, you to, to, I want to give you the lens that I need you. I, and I say this probably too much, but I want to say it because I think it needs to be said. 
The, what I need you to do is we process this truth. We're talking about identity, and if there's anything broken in this world today, it's our identity. If you want to know what is wrong with the world today, it all will trace itself back to a broken identity. We've forgotten who we are and whose we are. And, and so here's what I want to say to you. In a church that looks too much like the world, um, there are times that you're going to hear things from the front by whoever is speaking, and you're going to agree with it. And that's going to be cool. That's what keeps people coming back to church. As long as you say stuff I agree with, we're good. And I, I just assume you all agree with me 100% of the time. Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But it's actually not true. And so there are going to be some things that you actually don't agree with. Can I just say that it doesn't matter where you go today in the world, whatever church you walk in, there will be some things you agree with and some things you don't agree with. You are not going to find the church that you agree with everything. Are you tracking with me? Here's what I need us to do. When you agree with something that is said, a truth, not just an opinion, please may it be a truth, let it affirm you and what you believe and begin to pray that God would let that be true in your life. When you don't agree, ugh, can we not respond to our emotions or respond emotionally? The reason a lot of times that we are not agreeing or something sets wrong or there's tension in something or we feel anxious about something is because we look too much like the world. And so when the word of God is spoken, it sometimes highlights the places where we look too much like the world and it causes something within us to go, I don't agree with that because it would be way easier to edit God's word than echo God's word. And so we make it feel better by dismissing it and going somewhere else because we don't like what you're saying. I'm not saying that every time I'm right, you actually may be right, but what I would challenge every one of us to do in the moments when you don't agree with something that is said, or maybe I don't say it right, or maybe it just comes across, that you would lean into that. And don't just lean into that with your own emotions and determine the outcome by yourself, but bring people around you and say, this is what I'm feeling, and this is what I'm processing, and could God be showing you something about you that he wants to speak to and free you from? Does that make sense? I feel like I took a lot of time to do that. I was energetic. I'm tired. We are in this series, Identity Crisis, and talking about what's defining you. And that's why I need you to process this, because I think there are going to be some things that have been said and will be said that are just going to set wrong. And may you receive those things and process them as if God may be trying to say something. Having said that, three weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the identity crisis is this. The identity crisis is that if you don't have the identity of Jesus, there actually is no identity. They're all false. And they all crumble, except for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only durable core of your life that can withstand whatever the world throws at him. Because he is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do. That is our hope. Our hope is the fact that circumstances can't impact our joy because it can't change Jesus. Jesus is unchangeable. So when you let other things define you outside of Jesus, they are not durable and they break you down and they cause you to fall and be hurt and offended and all of these things because the thing that is most durable isn't your core. And so we're saying, let's let Jesus be our identity as children of God, co-heirs. Does that make sense? And then Alex came in two weeks ago and whew, we were in Florida and I was listening in and he, when he said this, because we're in second Peter chapter one. Say our first Peter chapter two, verse nine and 10. He said, you are a chosen people or you are a people who have chosen to waste your lives. And I just went, okay, that's all I needed to hear today. Turned it off. 
I didn't. I watched the whole thing. So good that if we'll let Jesus be our identity, if we will receive the truth that we are his chosen people, that we will find value outside of anything anybody can say or do. That we will understand a hope that is not wishful thinking, but is confident expectation, and we will be part of a family that is not dysfunctional in any way. Well, except for sometimes when we don't live the way God's asked us to. And so we are going to process now, what does it mean when he says we're a chosen people? That was the first one, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a royal priesthood. There are a lot of priests in our culture. We'll call them cultural priests. I'm not talking about Catholic priests, so that's a piece of it. I'm talking about cultural priests that are telling us what to believe and how we should live and what we should listen to and who we are and what we should do with our lives. Our identity comes from it. But there is a royal priesthood that God is calling us to where the one who informs us is him, our high priest. And when we say royal, we don't quite understand the whole royal thing because we live in America and we shook off the chains of tyranny and we ran from royalty. But if I was speaking in, in an English culture, they would, be, they would understand royalty. When there is something royal, that means that there is something common. And so the royalty was above the commoner. When we talk about royalty, we're not talking about something above that lords over or, or oppresses. We're talking about a royalty that God has opened the door to everyone. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, would not perish. He sent his son for everyone who would put their faith and trust in him. So it is inclusive and it is not a lordship over, but it is to serve and to love and to show the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So stand with me this morning as we go to first Peter chapter two, verses nine and 10. And we've challenged everybody to memorize these past passage because this is what as a church and as a people, we need to be echoing in our hearts and lives. Starting in verse nine, but you are not like that, like the world, like those who have rejected Christ. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy. Now you have received God's mercy. And God, in these moments, may we see that the mercy that we have been given, the love that we've been shown, the hope that is ours, we have been given to share with this world because it is who you are. And so I pray, God, that this would inspire us today and not discourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, I have a sin in my life. Can I confess it to you? Some of you are like, man, absolutely. I love when pastors do that. That just makes everybody feel... Um, I speed. Yep. Some of you right now just realized you sin too. Yep. The Bible tells us to obey the laws of the land. If the law says it's 45, then that's what you should do. But I have this thing called Dave speed. And it's my truth. Okay. And so it really doesn't matter what the law says or what's good for me or healthy for everybody around me. I have Dave speed, and I subconsciously, consciously go Dave speed most of the time. Does anybody else, you kind of live it? That's good. See, isn't confession good for the soul? It's like, man, I, I got, how many of you, you follow the speed limit? Okay, I see you out there, like out there, usually behind you, kind of doing this. Because it's Dave speed, and I just assume everybody ought to buy into Dave speed, and so I'm, I'm always living Dave speed until I'm reminded 
that there is a different speed. And usually the reminder comes in the form of a car up ahead on the median that has like fluorescent stripes going down it and lights on. Sometimes those lights are behind you and they're going. And, and, and the officer will come up to the car and they're just like, hey, you're going a little too fast. And you just want to say, I'm going day speed. And so that's perfectly fine because that's my truth. And he goes, well, that can be your truth as long as you want. Just pay the fine. Right? Listen to me. I wonder what this world would be like if the church today began to see itself as a reminder to our culture of who God is. That there actually is a truth that can set them free. There actually is a way to live that no matter what's happening around you can be a joy. And so you don't have to pursue and accomplish the American dream to get your happiness. You can have it every day of your life. I wonder what would happen if we would be better image bearers, pointers to who God is, by the way, if we wouldn't be that car up in the median for people to be reminded that there is a God who is good and loves them, that we would show the goodness of God to the world by the way in which we choose to live our lives. And I'm telling you again, we cannot do that if we look just like the world in which we live. And God knew that, and that's why he called us out to be different. And so we step into this to realize that not only are we chosen people, but we are royal priests. And so what does that mean? Well, the point here is first that you have, a, you have immediate access to God as a follower of Jesus. I want you to hear this. You have immediate access to God as a follower of Jesus. Let me unpack that a little bit more. You don't need another human priest as a mediator. God himself provided the one mediator between God and man, and it was Jesus. And the Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. You want to know what he's doing there? He's interceding for the people of God, the children of God. For those of us sitting in this room that have made a decision to follow him and we are given everything possible to go the way God wants us to go, to live in his will, not ours, and Jesus is up there praying for you. I mean, that's good news, right? That we have that going. You have direct access to God because of Jesus. So Jesus makes the way. And second, you have an exalted, active role in God's presence. You're not chosen just to waste away your time doing nothing. You have been given an identity, and with that identity becomes a, comes a vocation, a job. And so you're like, I got a job. Well, this is the job before the job. This is the role before the role. This is the role and the job that informs them all. And it's the best one that we can have. When all of that goes away, we still have it. It is that we are his royal priests. You are called now to minister in the presence of God. All your life is priestly service. And so we stand in the presence of God, and what do we pray? We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want you to have your way. Today, as we go into this day, I want you to go before me. I want you to go to behind me. I want you on every side. I don't want to go into my day unless you're leading it, and I want to do what you called me to do. Living in his presence because God is everywhere. And it's also standing in the presence of others to gracefully usher them into the power and wisdom and presence of God. So that through our conversations and through our actions, they can see that there is a God in heaven who loves them and isn't just here to judge them. Because Jesus never led with judgment. He always led with love. It didn't mean judgment doesn't come and didn't come. And so we live in the presence of God. And you're never out of God's presence as a follower. You're never in a neutral zone. You never just get to go, that was for some of you sleeping. You never just get to go, God, time out. Can I just do life without you worrying about me or having it? You're just never there. 
always in his presence. When you sin, you sin in his embrace. You just are not in a neutral zone. You're always in the court of the temple, and your life is either a spiritual service of worship or it is out of character. And that's where our battle comes, isn't it? So you can see that your identity, the question, who are you, leads directly to the question, what are you here for? Your identity leads to your destiny. And destiny is determined by who you're listening to and who you've given authority to speak into your life. And I would say that for the majority of us sitting in the room, the reason we look so much like the world is because we've given the world's voices authority in our lives to speak what was true. When God is saying, ah, oh, don't do that. Because your destiny will be determined by that. But let me be the one that speaks that truth into your life. Whew. You with me so far? Let's keep going. <laughs> You're like, good. You're a chosen people, possession of God, holy nation, all for a purpose to minister as priests and not just any priest, but royal priests. You know what that means? That means that the kingdom of God is advancing and it isn't going to stop until there's a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus came and ushered in the kingdom when he came to earth. God's Emmanuel, God with us, God's presence. And so Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And so when we submit to the lordship of Christ, when we live under the submission or, the, or we submit to the mission of the kingdom, we're in royalty. We're part of royalty. And we're royal priests who worship and serve the high priest. Isn't it fun to be royal? Not exclusively, but inclusively. To have that inheritance, if you will. We are a priestly people. Let me take you on a journey, if I can, through the Old Testament and God's heart and plan for us as a nation and, and the whole idea of priesthood and where that comes from, because I think we need to get our heads around this. But God miraculously delivers his people out of Israel. He calls Moses to the burning bush and says, I need you to go to Egypt and, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so Moses does it. And, and ultimately, um, the gods of Egypt have to wrestle with the God of the universe. The God of the universe wins as if that was a surprise. And Pharaoh lets the people go, and yet he pursues them. And so God divides the Red Sea, like we just talked about, and held them back so God's people could go through the waters of, of, of baptism and, and freedom and salvation to the mountain where Moses met God at the burning bush. But now the mountain is fully engulfed in flame, and God is speaking to the children of Israel. And here's what he tells them. Are you ready for this? Exodus chapter 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Isn't this good? And a holy nation. See, God desires a priestly people to represent him among the nations. It's evident. And so he tests Israel's priesthood by speaking to them directly from the mountain. And you know what the people, kid of Israel, children of Israel decided? The children of Israel decided that that was a little bit too much and they don't ever want God to do that again. They weren't excited about it. They were freaked out by it. And they said, hey, Moses, you go talk to God. We're much better if you do that. And what happens? They elect Moses to hear from God directly. And it seems clear at this point that Israel's priesthood will largely fail. A few verses later, God establishes Aaron's line as priest to Israel, and it seems commissioning a kingdom of priests is temporarily put on hold. But listen to me, one of the highest hopes of the new covenant that God talks about all through the old covenant, which is what we've experienced in Jesus, and we are representatives of the new covenant. Listen to me, one of the highest hopes of the new covenant is the royal priesthood of all believers, is that we would step up as those who follow Jesus and say we're part of his priesthood. 
royal priests, the priesthood of all believers, it ties together what God spoke to old Israel and what he hoped to accomplish in the spiritual Israel of the new covenant. That's his church. And we always look to how the children of Israel refuse their priestly rights, but we never look at the heart behind the Levites. And here's what I would challenge us to do. We need to look at how the Levites responded because I believe it's what God is calling us to today. It is a principled response of how the church ought to respond. And here's what you're going to do. As you hear this, some of you are going to want to heap all kinds of guilt and shame upon yourself. We're so good at that, right? Condemnation. I'm bad. Oh, I'm not even close to that. Oh, how horrible I am. I'm leaving church again. It's a downer. Stop it. Just don't. We're going to talk a little bit more about how we free ourselves from that. But I want you to hear this. The famous incident with the golden calf in the Old Testament paints a radical different basis of discipleship. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and the people got tired of waiting and asked Aaron to build them an idol, and so they took all their gold and they built a golden calf. Never a good idea to worship idols when we have an invisible God who loves us the way he loves us. So this paints a radically different basis of discipleship. It sketched the outlines, and the Savior later fills in the entire painting. And I want you to hear this. This is powerful. What happened with the Levites in Exodus 32 becomes the basis for the gospel message that Jesus would preach in the New Testament. Their response showed us something really important about responding to the gospel. When we hear this message that we are royal priesthood and God has a role for us to play in the story of salvation... It is a calling to us, knowing that there are things that will keep us from it. And listen to what happens. Their response showed us something very important about how we respond. When the whole nation fell into idolatry, do we have an issue with idolatry in our country? Do we have an issue with idolatry in the church, where we've taken man-made things and things that we want and we pursue, and we've put them before God? Hear me. When the whole nation fell into adultery, Moses cried out, whoever is for God, come to me. And the Levites did, no matter what it cost them. They came. And that is why Moses could say to them in Exodus 32, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of Yahweh, each one at the cost of a son or brother, and so have brought a blessing on yourselves this day. What this dedication and blessing meant would both get clear and clear. In the end, they would forsake what all the other tribes gained, an inheritance of land, so that they could possess only God. They traded one inheritance for the other, the greater for the lesser. And this very sacrifice of all things, giving them as a ransom, you could say, show us the call and the reward that the Savior built in his gospel, Luke 14. These verses show how you can gain what you value more, eternal life, by, fors by forsaking what you value less. Your life, your possessions in this world, it is one for the other. It is a life for a life. Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you will lose it. But if you'll lose your life in this world, you'll find it. And the Levites got that and laid it all down. And I think the church today needs to get that. Without saying, poor me, I need to go home and sell everything, but simply say to God, what am I hanging on to more than you? Let me tell you what we do in this moment. I need to process this with you because I think it's important. And so I'm going to get real real with you. Is that cool? I think sometimes when we hear, because here's what's true. Religion tells us to go work harder on our, on our religion. And so we always feel like we never can work hard enough. Go try harder. And Jesus comes along and says, no, just open your life to me. Surrender. Let me in. And I will transform it from the inside out. 
And so you'll bear fruit if you'll do that. If you'll abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Stop trying so hard and just abide and you'll bear fruit. And so he describes what it looks like to live in the kingdom. And what he's saying is, if you'll just serve me, if you'll surrender, if you'll follow me, these things will just happen. That's what we've been saying. You actually, it's not about trying, it's about abiding, right? We've talked about this. Listen to me. This is, sometimes we look at our lives, and you tell me if you don't do this, and I do this, just getting really real, and we say, man, it doesn't look like Jesus at all. Like, I actually do things that I, I just wonder if Jesus is even in there at all. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like treating that person nice when they've not been nice to me. I, are you with me? Is anybody, is Jesus even in there at all? Have you ever asked that question? Just some honesty. Some of you are like, nope, never. I'm good to go. Well, good for you. Here. I think, I, think, I think you'll understand why you are there. Maybe this will give you some terminology. I was watching R.C. Sproul, a great uh, theologian of our, of our time. And he said, when people wonder if they're saved or if they have Jesus at all, I ask them three questions. Here's the three questions. You ready? Do you love Jesus perfectly? Raise your hand. No, none of us do. He said, I've had a few people answer yes, but they're perfectionists, and that's another whole issue. Do you love Jesus the way you ought? No. Nobody's going to answer that yes because you ought to love him perfectly. Because he loves you perfectly. Let me ask you this. Do you love Jesus at all? Yeah. Do you have any affection whatsoever towards Jesus? And if you do, you have that because Jesus gave you that. And if you have that affection, then you have faith. And if you have faith, then you have Jesus. And everybody goes, oh. <laughs> right? Let me tell you how that played itself out. As I was processing that, we were in Disney World with our family. And uh, it's a place we like to go. We try to go um, every, every couple of years. It's, it's, it's Disney World. And I remember sitting there um, while we were in Disney World, having listened to that and processed that, you know, where does Jesus show up in my life? And I, I remember beginning to see areas of my life and responses in my life that, that I, were really good, right? Like, these were really good responses. I'm like, wow, I, was just, I just held that door for that person. That's actually a good response. That's bigger than chivalry, right? I, I'm actually saying, I want to serve. I want to do, we are so hard on ourselves. We don't take the time to know when it's actually working. When, when God's love is so evident that he's changing us from the inside out and it's affecting the way we respond and treat people. And so I said, okay, in my notebook, I said personal responses, responses I like and responses I don't. And I started keeping track and I'm like, man, that's a really good response. And I would write it down and I would go, that's a really good response. I should be excited about that and not in my own self, but in the fact that God is doing something or I wouldn't act that way. And so I go, great job, Dave. Does anybody do that to themselves? You just know, because we're our biggest, worst critics. We're always beating ourselves up. But Jesus, if there's any affection for him at all, then that means you've opened your heart to his love and he's changing you. And it's going to come out. And you should write it down. And then we were at Splash Mountain, which is a, like a log ride, right? And if you've ever been at Disney, the lines are stupid. And so it was about an hour and a half before we're about ready to see the fireworks, which you can't miss the fireworks. And it says there's 60-minute wait in this line. And I'm like, sweet, plenty of time. We get in line, right? And something else is going on at the exact same time. It's called everybody in the park held their fast pass for that ride till the end. 
Now, if you've ever been to any theme park, you know that fast passes are from the devil. <laughs> right? Because it requires planned people, special people to get those. Not one of those at all. Just a commoner standing in a regular line waiting to ride a stupid ride. Just that's it. We're in this line and about an hour and a half or hour and 15 minutes in, people are just passing us like crazy in the fast pass lane. The ratio of fast pass people to regular line people is warped. It's ridiculous. Because all these people have the fast pass, and so you got to let them in. And we get to that point, and we round the final corner, and you can see where everybody's going to get on the ride. And there's an exit right there, and I look at the kids, and I say, we got 15 minutes to get to the fireworks. We're going to have to bail. Two of my kids are pumped. They want to go to the fireworks. The other two wanted to ride the ride, and one of them's just falling apart in tears. <laughs> and I make the decision. We leave. We get out of line, and I just need to let somebody know that they have ruined my kid's experience in this theme park. And so as we're walking out, well, there she is, the fast pass lady letting everybody in. And so I just lit her up. I know some of you are going, you're the pastor of this church? And you, you did that? Yep, I let her know that what, what they're doing is wrong and how dare we have to stand in line that long and their ratio is off and she has just ruined our day. And I left. And I got home and I wrote, <clears throat> don't like the response that I had with the splash bass. Mountain lady. Right? I didn't just write it down. Here's, all, here's what else I didn't do. I didn't feel any condemnation or shame for my actions. Some of you are like, you should. No. Nope. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Not, a, not at all. And I didn't. I didn't feel any of that, what I did was lament that I am the type of person that would treat people that way. That there are areas that Jesus has gotten a hold of my life and the fruit is showing up and there are areas I've yet to surrender. I look too much like the world, I act too much like the world. That he's calling me to surrender and when I can see those and I can notice those, I can lament that that just wasn't a poor action. That's a character thing. I, I actually treated, I, I had to tell my kids that that was a poor way to handle that situation. I wonder what would happen if we would learn to let God use us as royal priests when we fully surrender our lives to say, I want to be your hands and feet. I want to look like you. See, God is invisible. You can't look on his face and live in the Old Testament until we see Jesus. And in his kindness, he chose to elect priestly representatives who could be seen. And priests were visible. They were in-fleshed ambassadors to Israel, serving on behalf of the invisible God. Basically, priests were his voice. How do you think the splashed mountain girl experienced Jesus that day? It was more of a cultural priesthood coming out of me than a royal priesthood. And so what voices are we allowing to inform who we are? Our priestly duty from Deuteronomy, one priestly duty from Deuteronomy grabs my attention. I want, I want you to hear this. It's in Deuteronomy 20, 1 through 4. When you go out to war, God's talking against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own. Can you imagine how many of you felt like that's what you're facing? 
You shall not be afraid of them, for Yahweh your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Did you see who came out to speak to him? Not the coach, not the general, not the captain, the priests. Today you're drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For Yahweh your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Do you want to know why we're clapping right now? Is because we understand what's happening here is what's needed most, and yet it is probably one of the things that's missing most. It's what connects us to worship, and yet it's the, sometimes the thing that we miss from worship. When I can stand here and sing that Jesus set me free through the cross, that he rose from the dead, and because the grave is empty, I can be free. Whew, that's a reminder of the promise that no matter how mean I am sometimes to other people, God can do things in my life and wants to do things in my, my, my life, and will. I'm trying to talk faster than I think. We'll do things in my life. Here's what we're clapping about. On the day of trouble, we need a priest to speak God's promises to us. And that's what's happening. The priest is stepping in and reminding them whose they are and what their role is in the world. Royal priests are ambassadors of God's great promises. You want to know why we gather once a week and ought to gather more? Is to glorify God and remind each other of how good he is. I don't get it. For the life of me. And it's because of the culture we live in, how we can miss these moments. And more often than not, we will, we will count these moments where we gather together as missable because we're not being reminded of God's promises by each other. What we often get in the church world today is a lot of gossip about each other, a lot of backbiting of each other, a lot of judgment of each other, a lot of ignoring each other. And this isn't to condemn or whatever. But what would happen if we were a place where a bunch of royal priests got together to remind each other of the promises of God, that no matter what it is you're facing, God is bigger than it. You come more often. Oh, so what about God's priestly people? What about God's plan to have a nation of priests? Did Israel's failure thwart his plan forever? Well, nope, because Peter steps in and says to the church, to you sitting right here, who've made a decision to follow Jesus, you are a royal chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God's plan to possess a people of priests is fulfilled in the church and the gathering of his new covenant people across the world. And amazingly, we are made royal priests by union to Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom. And so, church, we gather for each other. It's one of the things that as royal priests we get to see as valuable and important. Whether it's in a small group or it's in a large group, may we not stop meeting together because we need each other. And you know what you need more than anything? You need to learn the promises of God so you yourself can be reminded and you can remind others. Doug, you and I talk all the time. I know what you're going through. And I know that what would really be great for you is to always hear the promises of God instead of everybody's opinion of how to fix things. May we be a church that reminds each other of the promises of God in a way that raises us up out of our circumstances. And into his presence as his priests, his kids. Because of the world in which we live, we gather for each other. And our priestly duties don't just stop on Sunday. They go Monday through Saturday. 
And we're here to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. So we, we are here for each other. We gather for each other and we go for the other. Royal priests get to declare truth while commoners spend their life fighting about what truth is. I'm closing. I promise. I'm going to say it again. Royal priests get to declare truth while common priests in our world today get to fight over what truth is. Commoner priests reflect the consensus. What culture says is okay and right and the speed you can go because you feel it's right to go and you can be your own person and you... You want to know what the commoner, so many of the priests in our lives are just commoners appointed by man, speaking man's rules and man's thoughts and man's opinions, self-appointed, supplying their own answer to who am I and why am I here, but royal priests are never self-appointed. Thank you. Never self-appointed. Royal priests have been given their appointment by the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And we don't pick our truth, we declare our truth. And it's not something to be defended because Jesus defends himself. And we don't supply our own answers to questions, we supply his. It's all part of being a called out family that Peter has in mind. We just look different. We just want to look different. I have too many commoner priests that weigh into my life and tell me what's meaningful to you. What voices are you given authority? Teachers, friends, television, politicians, philosophers. Ugh. I'm not saying that's all bad. I'm just saying, may the voice be Jesus, our high priest, who tells us what we say to the world, and it comes in love. And what would happen if we would be that church? Royal, that part is powerful. Who are you letting define you? But you're not like that. Remember the verse? You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a God's special possession, a holy nation to show the world the goodness of God. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity, but now you have an identity because you're God's people. Once you didn't know mercy, but now you know mercy. What if our mercy led us to bring hope to this world? What if we began to live as God's kids with the vocation of being his priest to the nation? And we just looked a lot different. How many could live like that? God's priests. Let me try this again. <laughs> How many of you could live like that? God's priests. I think, um, I think the road that God has called us on as a church is going to be a hard one. I think living, living into God's presence and not letting anything else, or God's identity and not letting anything else define you is going to be hard. I think, I think we're going to lose some people in this journey that, that are pretty much okay with their religion. I think when we begin to say that, that God has a, 
a role for you to play in this world that points people to him and it goes before anything else that you do, we're probably gonna lose some people in that because we love our lives so much. We love this world. But living in the world's identity and living the world's way will keep you from having an influence and an impact on the world. So you have to be okay with that. But to receive this identity as a, as a child of God and to take up the mantle of a priesthood, the royal priesthood, and to see everything come from that, at whatever cost, is to bring hope to the world. And, and so we have to have that hope to give it away. And God wants to give us the type of hope that pulls people out of addiction, that pulls people out of religion, that pulls people out of selfishness, that pulls people out of pursuit of the American dream that breaks every promise it gives you, you will find yourself at the end of it not happy having lost most of it, including yourself. And so he's saying to his church today, ah, would you be my priest? Would you bring hope to the world? And I believe he's calling us as a church to that. And over the next two and three years, you're going to see that unfold. We feel like God is giving us a picture of that, and I would love to get into detail. That's going to unfold for you. But we actually believe that, that God is doing some things right now. One, he's preparing our hearts. And we're talking about things that aren't easy to live, but we're leaning in and we're saying, God, I just want to be like you if it's hard or not. There's some other things that I think God is doing in, in, in a type of way that Moses, when he went to the children of Egypt of Israel and Egypt, and he said, God's calling us out. They didn't know everything that was happening. They just knew they had to go. And I think there's something that's happening for us right now that we just believe as a leadership we've got to take advantage of because we believe God is going to use the resource to bring hope. We believe God is going to use the resource to raise up royal priests, to help people find identity, to kill religion, to get people off of this crazy train called the pursuit of the American dream, where Jesus is just a value-add proposition. And so, a few months ago, the owners of this home right next to us, right on our property, some of you think it's the parsonage. I don't live in a house like that, <laughs> just so you know. Nor am I talking about this for it to be a future parsonage, not the heart. 20 years, 20 some years ago, the owner of that home came in and said, if we ever decide to sell, we'll come to you first. A few months ago, as we were talking about what God is wanting to do and how he's wanting to grow hope and he's wanting to grow home here before we grow hope or as we grow hope, he walked in the doors and said, we're ready to sell and we want to sell it to you. And we all just went, the timing is unbelievable. But we don't, we don't know how that's going to happen. But we feel like that's what God is calling us to do. And so we're going to take it in front of the church and say that we, know we have all kinds of thoughts and ideas about how God could use that home for his honor and glory. We shared someone with the owners. We sat in their living room and cried about how God could use it. Super excited about what God could do here. But we're not taking on another mortgage to do it. We got rid of that one. But we believe, one, that if we got a bunch of you praying that God would do a miracle, that he would do it. So that's what we're asking the priesthood to do, to begin to pray that God would open up the doors for us to grab that property right there with that home on it because we believe that there's a vision that God has that's part of a grander vision to rescue people with hope. 
But we also believe that God is already preparing hearts. And you may be sitting here in this room saying, man, I've been praying about something like this and I haven't known what to do, but God has called me. And for that reason alone, we're going to put it out and say, maybe, maybe God would be pulling at your heart and this is the thing he's been pulling on because we believe God wants us to take that property because of what we know God's going to do with it. To raise up a generation of royal priests who don't get to this point in their life and say, I look too much like the world. But we can capture that. So we're excited about it. And so I'm inviting you, one, to respond to who's and who you are. And to realize God has a plan for you that doesn't just benefit Alpine, but impacts the world. And it's in you. And it might be crazy, but he's calling you to it. And also to begin to pray that God would give us that property. That something would happen in the miraculous so that we can't take the credit for it and it'd be ours. And some of you are sitting here going, you know what, that's not, I, I don't, that's fine. But if you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? I'm hearing because God's been speaking. Would you come and talk to us through an email at the end of the service? Find an elder because we, we believe this, is, this would be a sowing a seed of faith to a grander thing that God is doing and we want to be obedient. So if that's you, do that. The rest of us, could we begin to pray for a miracle that God would give us that? Because of the vision and the things that we know God wants us to do, even bigger than what we thought that would begin to see hope in our community and our world. Would you stand with me this morning? God, I pray for every believer in this room. We, we live in a, when a, in a day when the term Christian has so many definitions and so much that comes with it. And church has somehow gotten lost in all of that. And the church today, as we admit, looks a whole lot like the world in which we live. And yet we believe that you're raising up your church that the gates of hell won't prevail against. That it is an offensive, on the offense type of church that is being used by you in this world. And so we want to be your royal priests inviting people into that inheritance. God, we know that that comes with a cost. It means we have to not buy into the philosophy of the world, and that's hard. I pray, God, that we would begin to make lists of responses we love and responses we don't so that we could begin to surrender our lives fully to you so that you can use us outside of how we think you use us. And that, God, it would be revolutionary. God, we pray for that home next door and how you've brought this about is miraculous. Pray, God, that you would raise up the resources that it's going to take to capture that so we can use it to further your hope in this world. We're excited about that. And, uh, Lord, we know that you're, you're in this with us and you're bringing people to Alpine for a specific reason because you are using your kids to show people who you are. And that's what we want more than anything is that when people see us, they see Jesus. May that be our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you all. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Have an incredible week, and we'll see you next week as we keep going.